about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Our Bible reading is John chapter 3, verses 22 to 36. It's printed in your service sheets. It's also in the Bible, unsurprisingly, uh, in John, and I don't know the page number, so you can find it if you want. Let's uh, continue in John chapter 3. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptised. Now John also was baptising at Ainon near Salim because there was plenty of water and people were coming and being baptised. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptising and everyone is going to him. To this, John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. Whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful, for the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. This is the word of Lord, and I'll hand over to Tom to keep talking to us about it. Thank Great. you, Tom. Um, just going to spill this. Hello, everyone. Ooh. Sorry. Hello everyone, good to see you. Uh, if you haven't met me before, my name's Tom. I don't come regularly to this service. We, uh, we go to the morning service. Um, so uh, please do come up and say hello to me afterwards. It's really, really wonderful to see you all here uh, tonight. Why don't I pray as we come to consider God's word. Loving Father, we thank you for your son and we pray that tonight you would enlarge our vision of his wonder, his majesty, his glory. Help us to love Jesus more deeply and come to him. And we ask this in your son's name. Amen. Oh, well, tonight, I, I just really want to talk about how great Jesus is. Um, 
how incredibly wonderful he is. Um, it's the school holidays, and in the school holidays, I help out with the uh, kids' church, or the, the, the little, little kids, um, which is a lot of fun. And the thing that I love the most about kids' ministry is singing Christian kids' songs. I think they are just a lot of fun. Uh, I've got three little kids as well, and so we sing a lot of uh, kids' songs at home. And one of the things that I'm really struck about with kids' Christian songs is how much they talk about how great Jesus is. I mean, it's pretty much every single song, right? Every single song is just about how great Jesus is. We're big Colin fans at home, uh, Colin Buchanan, and, and we love that every song is just about how awesome Jesus is. Jesus is number one, right at the top where he belongs. He's the super saviour. He's the boss of the cross. He's Captain Jesus. He's king of the jungle. He's the mighty, mighty king. He's the king of Christmas. Just they're all about how great Jesus is. Uh, I've got a four-year-old girl named Annabelle, and she's actually, I think she's, I'm always amazed at how much she takes in when we're reading the Bible. I feel like she knows a lot about Jesus. But if there was one thing that she would be able to tell you about Jesus, it's that he is big. He is great. He is awesome. She actually likes to trip me up sometimes when I say, you know, oh, that's pretty, that's pretty big over there, isn't it, Annabelle? And she'll say, not as big as Jesus. I'm like, yep, you got me there, that's right. Kids just, they, they get it, don't they? They get how great Jesus is. And I think it's probably because they're very small, aren't they? You know, they're very little and the world is really big. But for them, Jesus is just so big, so great. And isn't it? it's just a wonderful thing to teach kids who are very small that there is someone so great who loves them. But tonight, I want us to think about how we see Jesus and whether we see him as this great, awesome, powerful, amazing, wonderful saviour. Is that true for you? I don't know about you, but, but I certainly can see it for myself that as we get bigger and grow up, it's very easy for Jesus to get smaller in our minds. And I, I guess it kind of happens for a few different reasons. Um, maybe for some of us, we just feel like we've lost our passion for Jesus. You know, we feel like, well, I've kind of heard it all before. You know, I know who Jesus is. I know what he's done. I've sung all the Colin songs. And, I'm, you know, I'm just I'm feeling a little bit dry. I'm feeling a little empty. And our heart for Jesus just shrinks that little bit. Uh, for others, I think it's because life has just become too big. You know, there's, there's just too much going on in your life. It's become too busy, too stressful, too overwhelming, too everything. And, and when everything else just becomes too big, it's really easy for Jesus to become quite small in our life, isn't it? And to, to, to be pushed to that edge, to be pushed to the side. I was thinking about this for myself. Um, uh, my job is to teach people about Jesus. I'm, uh, I'm a lecturer at, at Moore College up the road, um, uh, which is a theological college. And I think the danger for me and, and, and people sort of in ministry uh, is that Jesus just becomes a topic that we teach. 
not a person that we love or serve. And, and it's very easy to sort of devote yourself to a Christian ministry or might be pursuing justice or helping the needy or all number of really wonderful good causes. But it's very easy for our devotion to shift from Jesus himself to the cause. Jesus just sort of becomes a means to an end. And whilst we're busy doing everything else, our vision of Jesus himself actually shrinks down. And so tonight, I want us to come back and look at Jesus afresh, to see who he truly is, to behold his greatness. Uh, in the passage uh, that was just read out before, and you can, you can follow along in the, in the handout, in the passage that we just read before, we're told that there were all these people who were following John the Baptist. John the Baptist was sent before Jesus, and he was sent for the task of pointing people to Jesus, getting people ready to turn back to God so that they're ready for Jesus to come. And his disciples come up to him, and they quite worried. They say, everyone's leaving us. Everyone's leaving us, and they're going over to Jesus. And you can imagine that, you know, that would be pretty concerning. Kind of, you've been working at this ministry your whole life. You, you, you've been trying to get people to come. And then all of a sudden, they're gone. They're off to someone else. Except John's not upset about this at all. In fact, John is full of joy. And what does he say? He says, he must become greater, I must become less. Because that was always John's plan. John's plan was always to just point people to Jesus so that they would go to him. And then John explains why. Why is it that he only cares about people going to Jesus? And in the following verses, we actually get the last thing in John's Gospel that we hear from John the Baptist. Uh, we're told this is before he was put into prison, and we're meant to see that after this, that's it for John. His time is done. We move on to Jesus. And John the Baptist is telling us in this passage why that's a good thing, why we should be leaving him and going to Jesus. And he gives us this incredible picture of how great Jesus is. And so that's what we're going to be thinking about tonight. John is going to lift up our eyes to heaven to see why Jesus is so great. And we're going to see three things about Jesus from this passage. And the first is that Jesus is the promised Messiah. Have a look at verse 27 with me. To this John replied, A person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy. And when he hears the bridegroom's voice, that joy is mine and it is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. John the Baptist says, look, I've told you, I'm not the Messiah. That's Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah. Now, in the Old Testament, God promised through his prophets that one day he would send someone who would make everything right with the world again. He was going to send someone who was going to save God's people, save them from their sin, save them from death. And this person who was going to come would not just rescue them, but would remake the entire world. 
This person was going to make everything right again. He was going to rule over the world and be God's forever king. And the person that God promised was called the Messiah, the anointed one. The one who would come to rescue his people. And one of the images that the Old Testament uses for this Messiah, for this promised one to come, is the image of a bridegroom. The image of a bridegroom who is coming to his bride. And Israel, God's people, they were waiting, they were longing for that wonderful wedding day when God would come and rescue his people. Uh, my wife and I, Jess, uh, we got married about 13 years ago now. Next month it'll be 13 years. Um, and I knew that on, our wedding, uh, on the wedding day, I knew that it was customary for the bride uh, to be late for the wedding. You know, because you've you got to let everybody get settled and get in before the bride comes. Uh, so, so I was fine with that. I knew that, that Jess was going to be a little bit wait, late for the wedding. I was ready to wait. But Jess was actually 45 minutes late uh, to our wedding. Um, now, to be fair, it wasn't her fault, okay? Uh, it was my sister's fault, because she was flying up from Melbourne and her plane was delayed, and Jess very kindly was waiting uh, to, to arrive so that my sister could get there uh, before, before she did. So it was very nice, and, you know, not Jess's fault. She wanted me to make that very clear. Not her fault at all. Um, the problem was, nobody told me that, okay? So I was just, I was standing there waiting for 45 minutes, just kind of, where, where is she? Now, I was pretty confident. Uh, I was pretty confident that she was coming. I didn't think that she'd made a dash. But I have to say, when I heard that she'd arrived and I saw her coming through the door, I was very happy. I was very relieved as well. I was just, whew, okay, it's on. This is good. All right, we're getting married today. That's good. When John the Baptist describes Jesus as the bridegroom, it's that similar idea of, of waiting. You've just been waiting for so long, waiting for God's promises to come true waiting for God to, to do what he said he would do, to rescue his people, to save them from sin, to save them from death, to, to bring in this new world, this forever king who would rule the world forever. They've been waiting for so long. And when Jesus arrives, John says, the bridegroom's here. The bridegroom has turned up. God's forever king has arrived. The Messiah is here. And what does John say his emotion is to this? He describes himself as the friend of the bridegroom, and he says the friend, when he hears the bridegroom's voice, is full of joy. Just utter joy. Verse 29, he's full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. And friends, that joy is ours and it is now complete in Jesus' coming. You know, John the Baptist, like all the Old Testament prophets, only ever pointed forward to the one who was to come who would save us. But in Jesus' coming, all of God's promises are fulfilled. He's arrived. The joy of the wedding has begun. It's still about three months till Christmas, I think, uh, but I love Christmas. I think it's the best. So I'm already thinking about Christmas and one of the things I love the most, Christmas carols. I love singing Christmas carols. Um, 
my favorite carol is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. I don't know if you know that one. It's a classic. It's really good. And the thing I love about it is it's all about waiting. Uh, it's all about the promises of the Messiah in the Old Testament and the longing, the waiting for the Messiah to come. The one who will ransom captive Israel, the one who rescues us from hell and the grave, the one who binds our hearts and bids farewell to divisions. And in the refrain, after every verse, we sing, Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to you, O Israel. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the bridegroom that has arrived. And we are to rejoice. That's, that's the first thing we see about how great Jesus is. He is the promised Messiah. The second thing we see is that he is, now this is quite a mouthful, he is the heavenly spirit-anointed witness. There's a lot of words there, but each of them are quite important truths and worth unpacking. So let's have a look at verse 31. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. Whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. Now the point that John is making here is actually quite simple, and it's this. Jesus is the one who speaks the words of God. Do you want to know what God is saying? Do you want to know God's message to you? Jesus is the one who can give you that message. He speaks the words of God. And just, just let that sink in for a moment. Now, do, do you want to know the truth? Do you want to know meaning, purpose? You want the answers to life. There are a lot of people, a lot of people in the world who will claim to have those things. But John the Baptist says that Jesus is the only one who can truly bring you this because he speaks the words of God. Uh, John, he, he drives home this point by comparing himself to Jesus. He says, look, I'm, I'm from the earth. In other words, I'm I'm human. You know, like, like, like me and you, John the Baptist, he's, he's just a normal, regular guy. He's, he's from the earth. And because of that, he can only speak as someone from the earth. He only can talk about what he can see and feel and touch and smell and, you know, the earth. That's all he can talk about because that's where he's from. Now, John is pretty special because he's a prophet. Okay, so God has spoken directly to John. And so John is limited, like you and me, in what we can know. But notice what John the Baptist says about Jesus. Jesus is a different category to, to John because Jesus is not from the earth. Jesus is from above. Jesus is from heaven. And what that means is, is that Jesus, he can testify, he is a witness to things that you and I have never, ever seen or heard. And my kids uh, want a pet. Uh, they especially want a dog. 
And um, I haven't told them this, but the answer is no, uh, we're not getting a dog. Mainly because I feel like we've got three animals in the house already and a fourth probably isn't necessary right now. Maybe when they're older, probably not. But anyway, th maybe, maybe we'll get it. But they really want a pet. And I've actually been thinking, you know, maybe a fish is the right idea. Less exciting than a dog, I'll, I'll grant you, but much more contained. You know, you can't, the, a fish can't really do that much damage to your house. And one of the things I like about fish is that their whole world is kind of just the fish tank, right? That, that's all that the fish know. The fish don't know anything else other than the fish tank, okay? Their world is like that little treasure chest in the rock there, this little bit of grass, this maybe other fish that, that swims around, and this weird pump thing uh, that, that's in the tank, and that's it. That's their whole world. They don't know that we're here tonight. You know, the fish, they, they don't know that I'm giving this sermon right now and that you've come to church and that there are people outside and that there's lots of restaurants on King Street and all. They've got no idea about that. All they know about is the fish tank. And I think what John is saying is a little bit like that when he says that we are from the earth. This is all we know. This is our whole reality. This is all we have access to when it comes to knowledge. You could know a lot about the world. You could know everything about that little treasure chest. You could actually even work out that this is a pump that pumps water. You'd be a really smart fish. But at the end of the day, all you know about is the fish tank. In the same way, we're human. We're limited in our knowledge. And yet Jesus, if I can stretch the analogy just a bit here, he's not from the fish tank. He's outside of it, above it, beyond it. And he can tell us about this world that exists beyond our existence. He can testify to what he has seen and heard. He can speak the words of God. John goes on to make another comparison in verse 34. He says, The one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. In the Old Testament, when a prophet spoke God's words, the, the Holy Spirit would come down upon the prophet. And it was the Holy Spirit who inspired and empowered the prophet to be able to speak God's words. This is, this is how they could speak God's words to us. It was because the Spirit came down upon them. But of course, the Spirit would only come down upon them for a time and for that task. But notice what John says about Jesus. God has given him the Spirit without limit. And we're told that when John uh, baptized Jesus, he sees the Spirit coming down from heaven, and we're told that the Spirit remains on Jesus. Now, of course, Jesus has always had the Spirit, but this, this sign confirmed for John that Jesus is not just like any other prophet. He has the Spirit without limit. And here's the point. If he has the Spirit without limit, he can speak the words of God without limit. You see how different Jesus is to anyone and everyone else. Yet the sad thing is, is that we're told, John the Baptist says very clearly, that for most people, they don't accept his testimony. 
Here is the one from heaven who can tell us the truth. Most people will walk right on by. Before church, I went down to Camperdown Park just to sit and and pray and, and, and have a think and just saw so many people just sitting, having a great time, Sunday afternoon, in the sun, and yet they're missing the incredible truth that is right here. They don't accept the testimony of the one who speaks the words of God. But what does John say about those who do? Incredible thing. Have a look at verse 33. Whoever has accepted Jesus' testimony has certified that God is truthful. That word there, certified, it's it's the word that was used in the ancient world for, for, for marking your seal. It's kind of like the equivalent of our signature today on a document. It's like when you accept Jesus' testimony, you are, you are signing your name on the dotted line saying, yes, God is true. This message from God, these words from God, this is the truth. This is what we should live by. This is how we know the answers to life. Well, we've seen that Jesus is the promised Messiah. We've seen that Jesus is the heavenly, spirit-anointed witness. But John isn't done with us yet. He lifts our eyes even higher to see that Jesus is none other than the beloved Son of the Father. Have a look at verses 35 to 36. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. What does it mean when it says that the Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands? I think there are two ways that you could take this. I think this could be referring to God equipping his son for his earthly ministry. He's he's given him everything. He's given him the spirit without limit and he's given everything in his hands. I also think actually this verse could be talking about not Jesus' earthly ministry, but his eternal relationship with the Father. Now, this is kind of some deep theology here, but I actually think it's incredibly helpful for us to understand. What is God? God the Son's relationship with God the Father in all eternity. And the picture that we're given here is, is that the Father in all eternity, so in, in a timeless way, don't think that there was ever a time when, when Jesus didn't have everything in his hands. But for all eternity, God the Father has placed everything into the Son's hands. Why? Because he loves the Son. Out of love, the Father gives all of himself to his Son. Now we're talking about one God here, so it's quite hard for us to grapple our heads around. But the point, that, the point of saying this is to say that there is nothing true of the Father that isn't also then true of the Son. Everything that is of the Father is also of the Son. Everything is placed into his hands. Uh, Andrew's just come back from Scotland, um, and uh, I thought in honour of, uh, of 
of that, <laughs> um, I would quote to you a great Scottish theologian, T.F. Torrance. This is what he wrote. There is, in fact, no God behind the back of Jesus. No act of God other than the act of Jesus. No God but the God we see and meet in him. Jesus Christ is the open heart of God, the very love and life of God poured out to redeem humankind, the mighty hand and power of God stretched out to heal and save sinners. All things are in God's hands, but the hands of God and the hands of Jesus in life and in death are the same. Okay, why does that matter? It matters because if everything that belongs to the Father is also the Son's, then anything that we receive from God, we need to receive from Jesus. He is the source of all life. And this is the logical conclusion that, that John draws in verse 36. Have a look at it again. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. So if everything that belongs to the Father is in the Son's hands, that includes life. Life is in the Son's hands. And so... To believe in the Son is to have life. It's to receive life. But to reject the Son, well, it's to reject life. To believe in the Son is to accept God himself. To reject the Son is to reject God himself. This is the, the seriousness of understanding the greatness of Jesus. We need to understand, it is impossible to have life and forgiveness apart from Jesus. Jesus, he, he's not just a way of life, you know. Oh, you do yoga, I like footy, and this person goes to church. No, no. Jesus is the life, the source of life and the answer to life. Everything that is of God is in his hands. So the, there could not be a more clear verse from the Bible. Believe in Jesus and you have eternal life. Don't believe in him and you don't have life. And God's wrath, his, his anger, his judgment remains on you. Well, so what? What should we take away from this passage I think one of the, the common ways that this passage has often been applied uh, is by saying, let's take John the Baptist's words on our lips. You know when John the Baptist says, uh, I must become less, he must become greater? And, and I think one of the common applications is to say, okay, well, well, that's us too. We should become less, Jesus should become greater. And it's kind of said, you know, we, we shouldn't care about people coming to us or liking us. We want to point people off towards Jesus instead. And you know what? That's true. That's a really true and helpful and good thing to know. I, I don't think, though, that that's actually the main point of this passage. I don't think the main point of this passage is about you becoming less. I think the main point of this passage is about you not settling for less. See, we're, we're not meant to be John the Baptist in this passage. 
We're meant to be part of that crowd that's leaving John the Baptist and running to Jesus. Because we have seen how amazing, how incredible, how great he is. That is the point. To see the greatness of Jesus, the supremacy and wonder and beauty and majesty of Jesus, to be, to be so captured by this vision that like the crowds, we have to just leave whatever we're doing, wherever we are, and go to him. We accept his message. We believe in him. Our danger is that we are so often tempted to settle for less than Jesus. What this passage is doing is trying to build in our hearts the greatness of Jesus, that we would come to him. I said at the beginning of the sermon that when you're a kid, Jesus seems so big and so great, but when we grow up, he can become small. I actually think the sign of truly growing up is seeing Jesus as greater and greater than you ever did before. Let me leave you with the words of uh, another Scotsman, the Scottish minister, Murray McShane. Learn much of the Lord Jesus. For every look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. He is altogether lovely, such infinite majesty, and yet such meekness and grace, and all for sinners, even the chief. Live much in the smiles of God. Bask in his beams. Feel his all-seeing eye settled on you in love and repose in his almighty arms. Let your soul be filled with a heart-ravishing sense of the sweetness and excellency of Christ and all that is in him. Amen. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.